0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio six ten Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And Sean, you continue to cover Texans camp practically every day. So we're taking you right from camp. Into what's going on with the Texans. And I want to ask you to start with what player impressed you the most from Thursday's practice?
1: I would say CJ Stroud. Um, and because, you know, look, they had an off day Wednesday, and that was fresh off of probably two, easily two of his worst practices in his first NFL training camp. You know, he'd thrown three interceptions. Uh, combined between Monday and Tuesday's practice. You know, the completion percentage, you know, if you want to go that route, it it wasn't horrible. But if you listen to Nick Casario, if you listen to really any football coach at this point in time, rookie, veteran, doesn't matter. The number one thing that you want to see your guys doing, even if you are installing a new offense, is protecting the football. And C.J. Stroud hadn't been protecting the football. It's three interceptions in two days, I believe, four total on the uh, camp as a whole. I thought it was really important for him to be able to kind of take Wednesday, decompress, look at film, come back, and make those necessary adjustments. And it appears that he did because, look, they they run three or four team periods every single practice. And in every single one of those team periods today, the dude looked absolutely sharp. Ball's coming out quick. Looks like he's going through his progressions very easily, taking shots down the field. We've seen more and more of him willing to... Pull that ball down fairly quickly after he's realizing, hey, my read's not there. Boom! I pull it down. I'm going to go for the run. He scampered for nearly 20 yards today. The first time he did it, and the second time I think uh, was a situational period in which the Texans, if memory serves me right, they were facing a third and nine. He pulls it down, runs, sets up what would have been a fourth and three, but there was a penalty on the defense, so it came back. It was a five yard penalty, so it turned out to be third and three, and i I think I think that might have been the same drive, in fact, that ended with a beautiful ball from C.J. Stroud into the right corner of the end zone to Nico Collins, who leapt up over Derek Stingley, high-pointed the ball, rolled into the back of the end zone for a touchdown. I could be wrong on the exact drive, but that did happen. That play did happen, and it was fun, and it brought the whole team, which was – you know, standing at the 50 yard line and inching up as the ball matriculated down the field, they all kind of ran, walked, jogged over to uh, congratulate Nico, who was pumped up after making a hell of a play over Derek.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Cause I saw that uh, up on social media. Great catch by Nico Collins. Uh, we might be preluding something else later in the show with Nico, but I want to hit some more Texan storylines. But before I do, I want to hear. Uh, from everybody out there that's watching and listening, what do you want us to hit that we aren't talking about? Is there anything you want Sean to get on his horse, get out there? Come on, Sean, find out uh, what's going on in camp. If you got anything, we want to hear from you. Get in the YouTube comments, let us know. Tell Sean what you want him to figure out. But Sean, major injury Thursday. Last year's starting center, Scott Quessenberry, went down with a torn ACL and MCL. Do you believe this locks down the starting offensive line going into the season with Quesenberry's injury?
1: I wouldn't say that necessarily. And it look me saying that I'm not ready to lock it in comes down to the fact that look, you were six days in, and really the start of the seventh into training camp, and Ju Strugs hadn't taken one rep with the ones yet at center and we all have him penciled in as the starting center for this group. What was interesting was that Juice Drugs immediately came in and ran with the ones. But what was interesting about that is, you know, through the first six days, this dude was running with the twos and the threes, and, yeah, he played a little bit of center, but was also moved to, I believe I saw him at both guard positions, not just uh, left guard at times, but I think he was playing both right and left guard along with center. And he ended practice on... Tuesday, towards the end of practice, I think it was the Mills had the final rep. It was either Mills or Keenum, I can't remember. But he skipped a snap to the quarterback and went in the backfield for you know a big-time loss. And a couple plays later, D'Amico blew it up, and that was the end of practice. He's going to need reps, and he needs a lot of reps with C.J. Stroud, with Davis Mills, with Case Keenum, just at center. You know, it always concerns me when you draft a guy as high as they did, Juice Struggs, and then you're playing him everywhere but.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I but. guess that, that's why I asked the question because I thought there was a thought by the Texans if Kenny Green is not ready or if they don't think he's ready with coming back from his his injury, didn't play exactly fantastic last year as we talked about, maybe Juice Struggs was an option for them at left guard, but You know, with Quezenberry going down, I mean, I I don't know who else is going to play set. Unless you think six-round pick Jared Patterson's got a shot.
1: No, I don't think Jared Patterson's got a shot. I mean, they're not going to cut him or anything. But I just don't think he's, you know, on the active roster. He's probably a practice squad guy at the end of the day. But the guy that had filled in for Kenyon Green, you know, the very first practice of training camp when all he did was participate in drills to just doing team in the first uh, portion of practice on that last Tuesday. It's been a steady progression for Kenyon. Now he ran with the ones the entire time today. And I think that was the second straight practice that he'd done so. So that's encouraging to see there, but it's clear dude's still got a lot of work to do in terms of pass protection. You know, the guy is a really good run blocker at this point in time, but the guy that have been filling in is Michael Dieter, the free agent acquisition a versatile offensive lineman they got from the Miami Dolphins this offseason he's been the first guy to come in so if for some reason Green is in 100 percent if he's really struggling then I think it would be Dieter right now as it stands like Scruggs would be your center if he continues to progress and get good quality reps and you don't really miss a beat with Questenberry the interesting thing about Questenberry before he goes down today, the dude been running with the ones the entire time during camp. Most importantly, look, this is the third straight day with full pads. That's when it really starts to kind of matter and count and you can see a little bit more. You hadn't noticed. He's kind of like a Major League Baseball umpire, right? You, don't, you didn't know the guy was there. You didn't really know he existed because he'd been doing his job. In my mind, I'm like a little less worried about Juice Scruggs running with the twos and threes and playing different positions because Scott's doing his deal. He's doing what a veteran who was given an opportunity last year when Britt took a personal leave and now has since retired. He's doing his job, but he goes down. They elevate Scruggs. It's not as if they had to do that. But maybe it's a little bit of a test for the rookie who's being thrown in the fire because Dieter's done that before. He's been a starter in this league at the center position. But I think they want to see exactly what they have in Scruggs, throw him into the fire a little bit. And the true test is going to be tomorrow's practice through the weekend and into next week when they start to really install and prepare for New England on Thursday.
0: Yeah, I, I guess I would have been surprised if Scott Quessenberry, who was plowed over most of last year, just a lot of times run over. As a center and didn't look good. And we talked about it all year. If he's starting, or if Dieter, a, a guy that's a really nondescript free agent that the Texans pick up, is starting over Juice Scruggs, a guy that they not just drafted, but traded up for into the second round.
1: I mean, I guess a little concern is absolutely fair, but relative to. You know, even what we're talking about right now with their quarterback situation, it's a competition. You take C.J. Stroud, number two overall, and we're talking competition with the incumbent Davis Mills, it's clear Case Keenum is not a part of that. He's there for an absolute reason. He knows this offense pretty much like the back of his hand. He's told us this is the greatest hits. This is the best of series. He knows exactly what's going on, understands progressions and timing and the other intricacies of the offense. But it's a competition. And... I've poured over the numbers time and time again with various people that I've talked to and historical data is very important until it's irrelevant. And we don't know that it's going to be irrelevant yet in this case until it is until CJ Stroud and or Davis Mills is named the starter for week one against Baltimore. But you know, because we've talked about it before that since 1967 less than 30% of the time has a quarterback been drafted in the first round actually started week one over the last six drafts the 21 quarterbacks drafted in the first round, only six have started week one. So the numbers in that regard are not in the favor of C.J. Stroud starting week one. What's really going to be interesting is everything that we've learned from Case Keenum to multiple different wide receivers, even Bobby Slowick, Dalton Schultz has talked about it, how quarterback friendly, how wide receiver and tight end and running back friendly this offense is. But yet the volume of plays, how important it is to pay attention to the smallest little detail. That's going to be the difference. And what CJ Stroud has really not been able to do to until this point today through day seven in training camp is take really good care of that football. That's ultimately what it comes down to. So until a decision's made, those numbers in my mind still very relevant um, in this competition.
0: So Damian Pierce, that, we're not going to argue. He is set as the number one running back. Dalton Schultz is no argument. He is set at tight end. Offensive line, you're saying, could still be up for grabs because of Dieter. Is there any question for you after the first week who the two main receivers are? Because I'm getting the feeling that you're, you're starting to see the hierarchy being set up out there.
1: I am. And, you know, the most consistent guy, the 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 guy that's making a play every single day in camp is Nico Collins. It doesn't matter if it's Case Keenum, if it's Davis Mills or C.J. Stroud. He's making plays. He's making catches. And I thought about this, like I've got my observation observations piece up on sportsradio610.com right now. You can go check it out. And between writing that out after practice this morning and coming on with you, I started to think like, you know, Nico's not making these plays over scrubs. Nico's making these plays over a dude in Steven Nelson that is, I don't know, inside of a month away from talking mad crap about his general manager, calling him a mofo and how a guy that, you know, wears best can't be trusted, you know, the shots on social media. He gets a contract reworked and more money to the tune of six and a half per. He's making plays over that dude. He's making plays over Jalen Petrie. He's making plays over Derek Stingley. And we know what people are talking about Derek Stingley for, his work ethic, his attention to detail, his improvement, how his body's changed. He's put on weight. The dude's balling. And I can attest to that. The guy is dialed in, and everybody is noticing that. Nico's making plays over that dude. And don't tell me that, hey, he's a great practice player because, hey, look, this is year three. The guy's been hurt. That's the number one thing against him. He has to stay healthy and do this when it counts and matters most in the regular season. But when you're doing it over a first-round pick in Derek Stingley, you have to pay attention to it. And if we're going to say, like, oh, yeah, we know this guy. We know what he's all about just a two years in with any, any player at any position, I just I don't buy that at all because guys get better. Situation with the Texans specifically has drastically changed. There's no more last year. There's no more the last three years of a dumpster fire of this organization. They're legit. They're for real. They're trying to win. I'm not surprised at all that, you know, guys that have made it through to this point are finally showing maybe their true colors. And it's wondrous what an organization trying to win can do for individuals. And I think you're starting to see that pay off a little bit, at least for the meantime with Nico Collins. Another guy, Xavier Hutchinson. Maybe Noah Brown. I don't know if that's one, two, one, two, three yet. Noah Brown, in my mind, he's been pretty consistent in terms of his work ethic, practice habits, targets. Hutchinson and Noah Brown the last few days, I feel like they've been getting the equal amount of looks. Both would probably like to have some plays back. Hutchinson today uh, had a really good deep ball thrown to him by Davis Mills. That Mills just slightly overthrew. But I guarantee you, if you asked Xavier Hutchinson if he should have come up with that, he'd say yes absolutely every single time and twice on Sunday. That guy, I, I feel like he can be a playmaker. I'd like to see him be put in positions more like Nico Collins has to this point in camp where he can use his body, go up, high point a ball, and come down with it. I think he's just that athletic. He showed the propensity to do that at Ohio uh, Iowa State, one of the top receivers in college football, two years running, along with Tank Dell. So, And the Texans are certainly going to need a guy like that alongside Nico to to really make an impact offensively this year.
0: It's not nico and then robert woods one too you said woods, you woods didn't mention him. hasn't
1: been out there and been given the targets the reps you know he's had two veteran rest days if you want to call it that through seven days i feel like they're spreading the ball around a little bit more um this week maybe it's because installs are starting to come in you know maybe the base packages offensively have been deemed grasped by the offense, which that was my impression, they just ran team period a little bit differently today, where the media wasn 't really allowed to see. They built this wall with players you know on the fifty yard line, and you can 't see what 's going on they 're going towards the north side of the end zone, and I just have to think like okay they 're probably getting ready for installs against New England. This is kind of how it usually works during a regular season in a uh, middle of the week practice. But Robert Woods just quite simply hasn't gotten those reps, gotten those targets. He's missed two days. And when he's been out there, we've had a Noah Brown day, which seemed pretty exclusive. Early on in camp, we had Tank Dell, Xavier Hutchinson days last week. And we had days where the running backs were featured from Validate to Boone to, you know, some really Pierce heavy days. So I, I want to see a little bit more from Robert Woods. The key thing for me is, is the guy going to be healthy? If he's going to be healthy, I don't think there's a question that he can produce. Now he's three years removed from a thousand yard receiving, but I think he's a lot better, especially in this offense, regardless of who the quarterback is, than you know, a five hundred yard guy. maybe just slightly, maybe not much, but I think he's gonna have to be healthy and produce for them to be successful, certainly.
0: You mentioned Steven Nelson's new contract. Is this a precedent that you're surprised that Casario is sending with this new deal, or what what did you think of him? making the move to to redo the deal. Sometimes
1: I wish I had comments, you know, that I could take back, but this doesn't necessarily feel like one of them yet. When he said what he did on social media, seemingly unprompted, because according to, you know, the people that I talked to, there was never any contract negotiations up to that point with Steven Nelson. It was just out of left field. I'm going to blast this GM. <laughs> for for no reason at all, and then all the other cryptic tweets that followed the hours and days following, and I said, "This dude's out of here." There's no way. What player, especially one that's not deemed a marquee player, right, gets away with that sort of thing on social media? This, you know, this was after, but he had reported to mandatory minicamp. He reported on time to training camp. I asked Casario about it. Casario seemed to laugh it off, and at the time, this was what, a couple of weeks between Nelson's social media post and the time that we all had a chance to talk to Casario, I asked him, I said, hey, what's the conversation, if any, have they been like? You know, Are there contract negotiations going on? What'd you think of the social media post? And he laughed it off, said, well, I guess he doesn't like my wardrobe snickering, and then did say that there had been, I'm paraphrasing here because I can't remember the exact verbiage, but constructive conversations with Nelson. Now we see just how constructive they were. I am surprised because I thought the Texans would have been fine without him in the secondary because of Jimmy Ward, because of the emergence of Jalen Petrie, the year that he had last year, Derek Stingley playing in a role that better suits him. Uh, Shaq Griffin, who's who was here, who is here on the exact same deal that Steven Nelson originally had at three and a half per. You know, Eric Murray doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. It's going to be a safety valve. It's safety for the Texans. I think they're really liking what they have in uh, Tavier, uh, uh, Tavier Thomas. Thomas. I was going to say Smith, but I was thinking Trayvon Smith. I think they like in Tavier Thomas. I think they also like Graham Larner a little bit, even though he is undersized for the position. They're deep, they got veteran leadership back there. So, Thought they would have been fine without him, but I'm glad the two sides, you know, squashed it, put it together because probably the guy next to Petrie has been Steven Nelson to really shine in that secondary, which is by far, head and shoulders, by far, the most locked in, convincing position group on this team right now that you have to feel the most confident in. They, they are the foothold, the cornerstone of this defense as it stands.
0: Big news, John Mechie speaks to the media today. And did I read this right, Sean? Is this the first time he's addressed the media since the cancer diagnosis a year ago?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I covered this team every day last year. I even double checked. I asked, you know, uh, a lot of the media members when we were waiting on him to show up to the podium, saying like, this is the first time, right? Because I don't remember him talking ever. The only time I ever remember hearing was when he put out that statement uh, late last July, announcing that he'd been diagnosed with leukemia. And yes, in fact, today was the first time he'd met with the media, and 99% of the questions, of course, were about his battle with cancer over the course of the last year, and look, rightfully so. The guy's been through it, not even just to mention that, but you know, he was coming off ACL surgery, he's dealt with the leukemia, and then he gets past the leukemia Uh, early on in the OTAs. He strains a hamstring, and it's like, man, can this guy catch a break? he's healthy. And he said that he's 110%. They asked him, are you 100%? And he said, I'm 110%. I feel better now than I did before I was diagnosed. I feel better now than even when I did at my peak in college. I took away from everything that he'd said today. And he took us through literally everything, the entire journey. And it's a hell of a story. And I'm writing a story about him that you can see tomorrow morning on sportsradio610.com. But He is a tough dude, not just mentally, not just physically, but in his faith. He couldn't help but talk about that in every answer that he had today. And you just came away thinking that, you know what, if there's ever a dude, look at his size all you want to. Look at the fact that the guy hasn't played in any kind of a football game since late December of 2021, since before he tore his ACL. The dude's just going to succeed. He's going to find a way to make an impact. And you believe it. You just believe it. And look, you know what? Through six days, seven days of training camp, he's shown it With, with his work ethic, staying after, talking to DBs. Trying to figure out, you know, like what they're seeing, what he's seeing from them. It's very collaborative amongst, you know, a lot of the key players on both sides of the ball. He's very much in the mix there. He's made some really nice catches. Struggled in punt return. Don't think he'll be in the mix for punt return over Tink Dell or certainly Desmond King at this point. But the dude can catch football, uh, and it hadn't mattered if it's been from Davis Mills, Case Keenum, or C.J. Stroud. Dude's going to be a player. Just get his God-given athletic ability.
0: Sean, I was out there when David Quisenberry was uh, on the team and then he got the cancer diagnosis treatment mm-hmm. and it didn't take him a year. It took him more than a year, a couple of years before he was able to come back. I can't remember if it was two or three years before David Quisenberry finally came back. And I don't know if you thought about this, but it just felt like a big irony that David's brother, Scott goes down with a season-ending injury and maybe a career-threatening injury because, you know, I I thought his spot on the roster was definitely in jeopardy. When you draft two centers for your position, your job is in jeopardy, and he goes down the same day that Mechie, you know, finally speaks to the media for the first time in a year. It just was weird.
1: It is weird. It is weird. I mean, there ain't no way around it. I I hadn't actually thought about that until you brought it up, but, yeah, I mean... (laughs) It's uh it is a very, very weird deal. Uh the irony this week, so you, you notice that. I'm gonna just you know, switch gears a little bit, but you know, with Domingo Herman, New York Yankees pitcher Voluntarily removing himself from the team and, and going into alcohol rehab for alcohol abuse, I'd said his name more and thought about his name more over the course of the last month than I'd probably had over the course of the last three four years. Obviously, he pitched the perfect game, you know, about a month and a half ago in late June. He goes down with the, uh, you know, this personal situation that he's dealing with with alcohol abuse. Well. We were just talking about this big series coming up with the Yankees, a four-game set. You're going to miss Cole, Nestor Cortez, who you've got slated to pitch against, I believe, Verlander on Saturday. He's not at full strength. And now you don't have Domingo Herman, you know, to worry about. So uh, the irony there is just kind of a weird deal. Now that the Astros have gotten Verlander back, he didn't have to leave the city in New York. It's just kind of a weird deal. But, yeah, that's a really good point about Questenberry and Mechie. It's – Um, unfortunate, but you did say something there that I I just, I, I disagree with, in the sense that you haven't heard the exact verbiage here, but every offensive line coach will tell you, every head coach will tell you that versatility is important. You know, the more you can do kind of a thing is what I'm alluding at. We got sick and tired of hearing the same thing from Bill O'Brien over all those years, but it is so true. You know, the fact that they do have Dieter in house, you can play center in a pinch and they feel confident at guard. There's a reason why he was the dude getting those left guard reps with Kenyon Green out. I just thought like, look, Jimmy Morrissey ain't making this squad over Scott Questenberry, who was a starter in this league last year, and over Jarrett Patterson, a rookie, albeit a late-round pick, and certainly Juice Scruggs. Those are your three dudes. Well, they carried three guys last year, and you typically would because at least one of those guys, those centers, are versatile enough to where they can play either guard position. So I just thought Questonberry, there's a reason why the dude's running with the ones. And it's not just for a mentor role, because you've got other guys on that line that can handle that situation and that have been in the league for a little bit. That if you're just worried about somebody talking through or showing, you know, guy to study film, there's other guys for that. I believe they they thought they saw some good things in Questonberry last year. And I think, again, you know, for a younger player, guys can improve. And there's a reason why we weren't talking about this dude. Is like, what the heck is he doing out there? It's like, hey, when's Juice going to start getting some reps, you know, and progressing? Well, now he's thrown into the fire. So we're just going to see that over the course of the next week and see how that progresses.
0: One last thing about Mechie. Tank Dell and Mechie, both essentially rookies. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those guys has played an NFL down yet. Are you getting a sense that either has an edge at this point in the slot?
1: If I gave the edge to anybody, it's probably Mechie at this point in time just because I feel like he's shown better hands on some of the shorter intermediate stuff. Tank is an absolute machine. He's going to be a threat. I think he just needs to clean some stuff up you know, work on his hands a little bit more. And, you know, sometimes that comes around to just getting your head around to the to the ball faster. Sometimes that comes down to just being comfortable with your footwork, where you are in space. I'll tell you this, there was a play last week, Tank Dell caught uh, a little out route, looked like about a seven or eight yard out route. He catches that ball, sticks his left foot in the ground and just blows past everybody. I mean, just... What's probably thought when the play's called is just, this is going to help us move the chains or get us into a, a third and short situation. He probably takes that thing to the house for six. That's how explosive take Dell uh, is and can be for this team. It's, can he shore some of those things up? Mechie, he's, to me, been Mr. Consistent when it comes to his hands, you know, and pass catching. I just mentioned earlier, it didn't really have the propensity right now to catch NFL punts, albeit from a Jux machine. You know, And I'm looking at it this morning, and you know, I'm like, man, these things are sky high. And he he bobbled and missed about three straight. And then the fourth one they sent him, you know, he caught down by his right hip. And I'm like... Yeah, you know Frank Ross probably feeling pretty comfortable with Des King back there, and they're gonna see what they got in Tank Dell just because of the explosive nature of his athletic ability. But
0: I, I thought for sure you were gonna tell me Tank Dell has the edge with your your cougar hat on and and your 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 cougar glasses. I thought, oh, he's gonna definitely give me Tank Dell real quick.
1: Well, I mean, I'd like to, and it's still early. You know, we'll see. I, I just know this. Players, coaches, they've talked about those guys when asked in general, like, hey, who stood out? Who's impressed? What do you think of the receiver core? Those two guys are usually, you know, the first two mentioned. I don't think it's uh, just propping them up. I don't think it's by accident. Um, I, I think it's, it's earned. They've shown... A, a great work ethic between the two of them, Tank, from day one, spending extra time on the practice field, talking with his quarterbacks, namely CJ Stroud, just getting extra work in there on the jugs machine, talking to DBs. You hear about it every single day almost. And so I, I think, look, it's, it's early, but that's why I thought today was such a big day for CJ Stroud, not just to come back from a poor couple of days of practice earlier this week, but As you get closer to that first preseason game, that opener against the Patriots, look, you only got three of these things now. This is a quarterback competition. You got to start putting it together. And when they start installing more plays specific to what they think they can do with the personnel they have at hand, when you see that execution, that should mean something practice joint practice or preseason doesn't matter what it is if you see execution you have to take into account these guys are starting to get it a little bit so i thought it was a great day for stroud great day for nico tank did some good things
0: oh yeah i mean we're one week away sean from the first our first live texans postgame show and that's something i'm sure i'm going to bring up in the postgame show i'll ask you about next thursday uh by the way who, who who's the slot receiver that got got in there first you know you know if if mechi or dell starts or or even you know who is the op, you know we're that's stuff that we're going to definitely have to get into in about a while oh week. yeah
1: sure sure well thursday i'll be able to see it along with everybody else today i mean i'm standing up on my tiptoes and you know trying to look around player's shoulders 75 yards away i I thought you were asking me, who was the first guy in today? I'm like, I couldn't see a darn thing. You know, it's they made it uh, the most difficult day for my observations piece. There's no doubt about that. But it's good in the sense, <laughs> you know, what they did offensively today because a lot of the plays that were made were, you know, on the outer thirds of the football field, if you will. Nothing really between the hashes. So I was able to see the Nico catch. I was able to see a lot of the running backs, you know, running the short routes, which – it's probably something I should have put in my observations piece. I felt like felt like the running backs collectively were much better at catching the ball out of the backfield today. They were working on some different routes today, um really close to us. Some stop and go, uh hesitation, double move type things in the end zone. Damian Pierce needs to work on those hands a little bit, you know, on some of those uh routes that we've seen on the regular Debo Samuel, you know, run in San Francisco. If they're looking for a running back in this offense on this team to do similar things. Damian may not be ready for that yet, but I really saw some good things from some of the other guys, Jared Dokes. I don't remember seeing Singletary out there doing much of anything in terms of pass catching today, but Dokes, Valaday, so those guys look pretty good. Mike Boone looked really good today. So yeah, check out my uh, observations piece. Maybe I'll go in there and edit some of that stuff <laughs> to you put that in there. With the make
0: robot. a note, everybody, that, we're going to be coming to you live after Texans games again this year on our on, on the channel. We're going to be putting stuff up on a regular basis, obviously, with the Texans. But the big thing is you want to check out those live post game shows. And uh, if it's wow. not directly after the game, which w- definitely will be directly after games, I think for all the road games and then for the home games, it, Sean's typically out there. So it takes us uh, maybe a couple of hours because he's in the locker room. And he'll have reaction, you know, he'll tell us what the reaction was uh, in the locker room. So we get that added bonus. You might have to wait a little bit for the post game show, but uh, it'll be within an hour and a half, a couple hours after the game. So keep an eye out for that. And, Which is
1: fine because yeah. the people doing the post game shows right after the game aren't getting the material that you're getting right here because you're getting locker room reaction, you're getting head coach reaction. Uh, all that stuff after the game. You might have to wait a little bit for it, but it's definitely the most comprehensive post-game coverage
0: anywhere. Absolutely. And uh, Astros, we got to talk about them for a second because Justin Berlander makes his debut Saturday for the Astros again (laughs) against the Yankees. He makes his second Astros debut. If you go back to our last show, Sean, we went through a bunch of angles on Berlander. Most of it was positive, but... I thought we missed a potential red flag. If you look at Verlander's strikeouts this year, they've taken a huge dip. He's gone from 9.5 per 9 innings to 7.7 per 9. His K-to-walk ratio also concerning. He has two more walks and half as many innings so far this year. Let me repeat that. He has two more walks Hmm. and half as many innings. So he's walking guys, and he's not striking out guys as much. And Shawnee's gone from a six to one strikeout to walk ratio to less than three to one this year.
1: But I'll say this just look at what he's done here recently. With his last month, as good as the numbers have been, you know, look, his team, I think, his former team now is uh, five and one record wise over the course of his last six starts. If you go back to, you know, seven starts, and you can even go back to that uh, outing. Against the Yankees so in mid June when he went six innings, just gave up the one earned run on three hits. He didn't walk anybody uh in that game. But so his
0: strikeout like, to walk, his, the strikeout to walks, he's, he's, the ERA has been great recently. And, uh, and you know, th- from that standpoint, it, it's good. The ERA whip, all that stuff, batting average against. But the numbers over the last few outings, the strikeout to walk stuff still hasn't gotten a whole lot better.
1: Here's the thing though, I'm going to wait. You know, before I say, like, hey, I'm concerned. This guy's a different pitcher now. Let's see what he looks like on Saturday. And the only reason why I say that is because, obviously, we know he's a year older. We know he didn't show the propensity to go deep in the games. certainly not in the postseason last year with this ball club. I think he has worked into the eighth inning three or four times uh, this season. There have been even a couple of five-inning outings, but they've been quality outings from Justin Verlander the last seven starts that he's had. I'm going to wait because it's a different league. They're different hitters, it's a different approach, it's a different pitching coach. A lot of things are different in the Justin Verlander equation this year um, than what we've been used to seeing since he joined the Astros. In,
0: well, in you would think term. going over to the National League, you know, if he's facing more hitters that haven't seen him, you would think that they would have an issue, maybe picking up his pitch, the strikeouts, and so I would have thought. Going over the National League, you know, it might have been a little bit easier for him and he might have been looking at
1: Look at, look at Max Scherzer. You know, he goes from the National League to the American League and his first start with the Texas Rangers, dude, you know, can barely get out of the first inning. He throws 37 pitches, you know, and walks two or three guys, gives up, you know, three runs. I mean, he had an outing. You know, look at Giolito. Giolito's been a mess ever since he joined the Angels. And, um, I, I agree with you because we've seen it so many different times, right? You know, new pitcher comes into a new league. Hitters don't have all the film on them. They haven't been studying him, watching him. There's only so many guys you can concern yourself with. And it's synonymous to, well, good pitching is typically ahead of good hitting to start any Major League Baseball season. So why aren't we seeing that? Look, Justin Verlander, um, I, I'm going to reserve, you know, uh, any sort of, Uh, you know, concern until I see him pitch on Friday. And even then beyond, I want to see, he's going to make, you know, somewhere between eight and 10 starts for the remainder of these 52 games that they have left after today's ball game against the Yankees. Um, We'll see how the, the, the rotation goes. I just think the impact of Justin Verlander, um, is is just more about what he achieves here personally. I mean, people are talking about like, hey, over under, is he gonna win 10 ball games for this club or not? Is this gonna be another Randy Johnson or Justin Verlander 2017, you know, type season? Is that gonna be what we're gonna see here? I don't know. You don't know. I mean, that's six years ago and that's twenty-five years ago. Um I, I'm just looking to see. Justin Verlander solidify this rotation, the impact that he could possibly have on guys like Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, J.P. France, like these younger guys, even dudes in the bullpen. If he's just there, an extra set of eyes as an evaluator, and a guy that is still doing it, is is still playing the chess game, is still battling, you know. um,
0: Yeah, I just just bring it up because the one concern that you've got with Justin Verlander is pretty clear. It's the clock, the clock, you know, father time, undefeated, undefeated. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, not even just time, not even just time, the age, but I mean, heck, um, you know, we all puckered up a little bit uh, last last season, Justin Verlander's being Justin Verlander, Cy Young-esque, and he has that calf issue towards the uh, latter part of the regular season. You're like, oh boy, what does this mean? And they hold him out for about a month, right? pitching staff was so darn good you didn't even feel it much um but you do worry about the health you do i guess in the back of your mind right now it's fair to bring up fair to think about and talk about and look for um how much of a good pitcher is he differently the, the, you know, Met, the mets
0: didn't playing. have a six-man rotation did they they didn't have a six-man no, rotation I think, no I don't. so, think so, so maybe that maybe that helps so maybe an extra day's rest is what he needs well, for his basketball
1: maybe but I think we even talked about this last year specifically, you know, when the Astros went to a six man rotation ex pretty exclusively like after the All-Star break. Well, how is JV gonna handle that? Because he's very like a lot of other ball players, this dude's two point routine, habitual. Um, he has his routine that he needs to stick to. I mean, if you pitch a Saturday, that's five days rest. That's extra rest. I don't know how many times he's done that this season. My guess is probably not much, maybe early when they were ramping him up when he came back from injury. I think he had like a forearm or a shoulder or some, some kind of issue, oblique, whatever it was that held him out after spring training.
0: It well, five, him- five days is four days. And then if, you know, if there was an off day, you know, I, I assume he's got, we've had a lot, you know, our share of off days early in the season. Yeah. So, so I don't, you know, and, Maybe maybe he had that.
1: Yeah, I mean but- it's one thing if it's built in, but another thing, you know, if if it's if it's planned. And I think what Dusty has, you know, if, if this is final, this kind of sets in motion the rotation for a huge part of the latter fifty-two games because it's going to give you a pretty darn good idea of who those top three, top four dudes should be going into that you know first playoff you know and,
0: and and you're talking you said 10 starts no it's they're they're talking six man rotation and i think that's a, that's going to be definite cuz these guys for various reasons injuries youth whatever you've got to stick to the six man rotation unless you, unless you're just going to sit somebody down for so really 52 games 6 divided by 52 if my math is correct it's only maybe Eight starts, right? Eight or
1: nine, yeah. Eight or nine, you know, depending on who they decide to like skip in the rotation, you know, here or there, just to rest a guy. And look, I was pouring over the numbers yesterday. Um, This six-man rotation, the idea, however you're going to handle it, it it can get finicky at times. You you have a lot of different factors and just in no particular order, it's what's Justin comfortable with, how's his body, you know, routine going to react to it. But JP France already has 111 innings under his belt. That's three innings away from, You know, his professional baseball career high, if you will, which is 114 from two seasons ago. Hunter Brown is already going to surpass his career high in innings pitched. I think he's around that 111, 108 mark as well. I think it's 108. I think the most he's ever pitched is 120, uh, which was last season and up from 100 the season before. So you'd think that natural progression puts him at around 140 this year. Well, if he makes eight more starts at, let's just say, the median average, like five innings per, that's 40 innings. That puts him at about 150 innings at regular season's end. What's the workload look like for them going into the postseason if Hunter Brown turns out to be your dude? Or J.P. France, if he continues to what he's doing, he's your dude and Javier still struggles. France is your legitimate number four, maybe your number three guy in this rotation right now. But, but, may- but,
0: but maybe we could see there would be points, you know, if everybody stays healthy, knock on wood, Jose Archidi, especially, I'm worried about him. Mm-hmm. But if everybody can stay healthy, you can stick with the six man rotation and occasionally bring up a B Belak or a Blanco. And give well, them a spot start over one of the other guys.
1: Maybe you know the answer to this question because I was I was working through this. And I, I talked about it a little bit yesterday um, on on uh, Sports Radio six ten. Is it was a Blanco? You know, two days ago they called him up after the game. You know, so he could make that spot start yesterday. Gives you four innings, and you know, sometimes in those situations, that's kind of like the best you hope for, right? And uh, thank goodness for Chaz McCormick being being Chaz McCormick this year, but. This is like the third time, I believe, that we maybe it's the second time. But you got three options, do you not? Depending on your years of service, I don't know how many more options Renel Blanco has. I don't know how many more options Brandon Belag has.
0: One. He's got – well, this year he's got one. Uh, he's, they can do this one more time with him. With Belag? With – no, Blanco. 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 They can, yeah, they, they can only – they can only send him down one more time, I believe. All right. So,
1: you know, that's, that's something else you kind of have to weigh. But
0: September, September throws everything out, right? right. Because you can add, you know, to the four, you can add to the roster. So, you know, within four weeks, Blanco could just be here and Belak can be here.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, you got to see what you might have in, uh, who is it, Dubin?
0: Yeah, Sean Uh, Dubin.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe he's a guy for you as well. Uh, Seth Martinez just ain't ain't got it put together this year. Um, and I'm trying to think of just their long relief guys, but are uh, just dudes that can make a spot start. You've, you've got guys. It's just, hey, man, you're a half game still out of the first place for the AL West. You got a little wiggle room because you feel pretty good about, you know, Fromber being back on top, maybe Coase next to JV coming in. But there's still some questions, you know. I want to see how this next week plays out. I fully – Look, we're past my deadline. It's August third, okay? I said the Astros by the end of July, you know, it'd be flipped. The Rangers would be looking up at them, and you know, darn it, I would've been a couple of days late. But yeah, I, we're, like we're recording
0: Cease. this. We're <laughs> recording this before the Yankees game. Yeah. So if Dylan you know,
1: Cease would have done his job you know, the other day, or last night, rather, and uh, taking care of business against the Rangers. The Astros would have been a half game up on yeah, the Rangers. Yeah,
0: yeah, don't, don't, Sean, there's no point you saying Astros in first place or not first place because we're recording this before the, and a lot of people are going to be watching and listening to this after the Yankee. I, I don't even think, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it up <laughs> until the Yankees game is over with. So, uh, you know, just a little peek behind the curtain. So don't don't say Astros are not first place right now. Astros aren't, because right now you and I, do not know at this point where they're going to be by the time people watch and listen to this. And and let me also throw out the fact that, like I said, in August, you got those other pitchers that could come up and make spot starts. But the other thing that they can do, you got to think about this. There's a a number of options because the Astros have so many guys right now that can start games or pitch a lot of innings and, and situations is you can go, okay, we're going to limit Hunter Brown's innings by having him pitch three innings and then bring in Brandon Belak for three innings in September or bring in Ronel Blanco for three innings. So you could do like a piggyback situation to get you to the bullpen when September rolls. So they have a number of options because in September, when you add to the roster, it gives you a lot of flexibility there. And that's, again, this is August 3rd. I say a month away, just let me simplify, four weeks away, we're four Mm -hmm. weeks away they did that a little
1: bit last year, though, didn't they? Uh, the the kind of piggyback situation, you know, towards the latter part of the season. I feel like we'd seen mm-hmm. that from this ball club before. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, they've got that flexibility um, as well when September hits. Um, I I think um, I think I think we'll feel a little bit more comfortable about those situations, you know, when you kind of get over that hump, and you're you're the the man on top in the AL West. But I I think that's only a matter of time. It's not a question of if it's it's just a matter of when that's going to take place. And, you know, look, hey, hopefully JV's that juice that this ball club, you know, needs this year to kind of propel everyone. But tell you what, dude, I I feel really, really good about this ball club right now. And uh, it's going to be an exciting next couple of months.
0: Yeah, you always feel good about him. I know how you are. Uh, <laughs> um, Only in sports,
1: man, and specifically in baseball, am I that half glass half full guy? <laughs> um,
0: it yeah, we it, it's it's getting to be fun because next week we got one one more show of Texans training camp stuff, and then we start talking about games every you know Texans games every week. So that's going to be a lot of fun to to finally get to that. So like next week it starts to get, hey, we're not just talking about Astros games. We're talking about Texans. Game. We're we're over the hump. We're over that summer hump of, oh, it's all we got to talk about is Astros. And then, you know, college football, not too far down the road. Uh, just a real quick thought. I don't know if you have any, but the Cougars have a new team that's coming to the Big 12, Colorado, Deion Sanders. You can go out and see him coach the Colorado Buffaloes potentially in a couple of years in the big 12. Did you have any thought on Colorado coming to the, and and, and they might not be the last team that they added the big 12 here. And then next couple of weeks, the way things are, the dominoes are falling.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's ever changing, right? Uh, I mean, uh, college football is kind of like uh, these damn soccer leagues. Now it's why I don't follow soccer. the way I'd like to, it's because I never know who the hell's playing where, when the season starts ends, none of that junk. Uh, but yeah, I was excited whenever I saw that news. Course, Deion Sanders ain't coached a darn game at Colorado yet. I gotta see that. But my immediate thought was if this is if this is gonna be a good thing for Colorado and Deion Sanders and uh, he's gonna have a pretty lengthy tenure there, um, this is a great thing for the Cougars in the Big Twelve because all it's gonna do is bring more eyeballs, more money, more TV deals, uh, better recruiting to to the entire conference, which does nothing but benefit the Cougars at the end of the day and all the other schools. Um, but it's, we got to see how it plays out. Um, it's, it's, it's good that you have something to look forward to because I go back years ago, man, whenever they were just rotting in CUSA, when they made that move to the American that had a big time feel to it. It's like, man, finally we get out of the fricking shadow, you know, these stinking rice owls, you know, in these low level, you know, FBS schools, let's go play with some of the bigger boys. And it wasn't but, like, I felt like within the next year or so, the American Conference felt exactly like CUSA. You know, there was teams leaving, teams wanting to leave, and it's just like, mm. you know, we've we got to be able to do better. And, you know, Big 12, they kind of uh, shunned the, the Cougars one time, and then, you know, luckily, now this time, they get in, it's real, Big 12 along with really the rest of college football, and we'll see what happens over West, you know, with the Pac-12 or 16-14 officially, whatever the heck they are looking like now. Still think we're some way, somehow, college football, we're going to get these dang super conferences in here.
0: Well, the yeah. Pac-12, it looks like it's over with, uh, and it's and that it's happening in light yeah. speed, and there's going to be some more teams joining the Big 12. And Come on in, man. Come and on I, would, I would assume there's going to be some more of those guys obviously joining the Big 10. This is not news to anybody i guess but uh yeah. next time we talk to you we're one gate one uh really show away from a texans game and we'll have some astros yankees over the weekend stuff so one. looking forward yeah. to that
1: one week from one week from today for the next 23 weeks 24 weeks it's going to be a uh, football wall to wall man so <laughs> it's going to be a uh, It's going to be pretty cool. I can't believe it. I told my wife, it's like, man, you're going to look up in like 30 minutes and it's going to be September 10th, you know, Baltimore. Week one's going to be here. So looking forward to it.
0: Go Team USA this weekend. Go Stros and we'll talk to you again soon.
1: You're listening to
0: Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.